everybody. Welcome to the Melissa and Devin Show, where we're always unscripted, raw, and unedited. Come on, be a fly on the wall while we're bitching in the kitchen about current events, politics, family matters, and relationships. Hey, Devin. Hey, Melissa. Amazing. What are we talking about today? Well, there's this new um, housing initiative in the city that we live in, and the housing initiative is through, it's called PATH, I believe. Is that And what that organization has done is paired up with a um, Ontario-based builder. And this company uh, builds tiny modular homes. And the purpose of these tiny modular homes is to give housing, um, permanent or semi-permanent housing, to um, under-housed communities. So Peterborough has a huge under-housed community. And currently, a lot of them are living in tents or makeshift shelters at a local parking lot in our downtown core. This parking lot has kind of grown in population exponentially in the last 6 to 12 months. Um, This now, this encampment, which is what it is, this encampment has now been, not now, but has been for several months now, um, it is uh, fenced off. It is considered to be semi-secure, and our city has hired um, a local security company to patrol it, not to um, not to uh, crack down on um, criminal activity that is happening within the encampment. No, no, they have hired security to keep citizens and taxpayers out of the encampment because of the astronomical amount of crime that is happening in the encampment. Yeah, I'm going to stop you right here because I have the biggest problem of we are basically telling these people that it is okay to steal George's lawnmower and steal Jackson's bike and everything else and but now you're in your little safe space and we've hired security for you so you don't get your ass beat mm-hmm. no you no that's actually happening it no it is actually happening and it's madness sorry please continue it is complete madness so somewhere along the line our city council and the powers that be under the UN ruling have allowed for this quote unquote safe space to happen. And it's not like the other encampments that you see on the news. It's not like the, you know, when you see downtown Vancouver or downtown Toronto or some of the other places around, around the province. Um, ours is l- actually a fenced off with privacy screen tent homeless sanctuary where they have their own mayor I've been told I've been told there is a person in the encampment that acts as like the mayor of town (laughs) they have a bike chop shop for all the stolen bikes in our city which are in the probably in the thousands um, and and escalating each and every night Um, there is tons of stolen merchandise allowed to be brought in and 
resold from this encampment. Like I said, a local security company has been hired, I assume by the city, to patrol. And their job is to not allow concerned citizens in. So the crime is allowed to continue to happen. The theft and the stolen merchandise is allowed to continue to come into the encamped area. Um, the people who are criminals that are living in the encampment are allowed to still live in there and be existing and whatnot. And so far, all I know from what I have read up on is the only people who are allowed to go in without being tossed out by the security are police and other law enforcement and um, community aid groups that are giving them food and and supplies and coffee and mm-hmm. I'm all for feeding people in need I am I have provided food to people in need many times over the years um, but this has gotten to a level of like stupidity where our city is spending taxpayer money and resources not on the people who are being victimized and losing their bikes, losing their tools, having their car windows smashed, having their tires popped, having their cars broken into, having their garages broken into, their sheds broken into, their homes broken into. There is no consequence for um, the criminals and there certainly is no help for the victim of these crimes and yet our money, our security, our policing and our resources are going to keeping them all protected safe and anonymous so that the citizens cannot come in and look for their stolen merchandise or question if my bike is in here or are my is my tool set in here or have you seen a person that matches this description which I have from my video camera surveillance on my property and this person stole my stuff last night and I'm looking to see if you know if they're in here so I can get my things back or at least put in a police report and let the police know. It's gone to a point of absolute ludicrousness. Like, it's insanity. Yeah, I'm going to piggyback off that for just a second. Mm -hmm. We had somebody, we, at our previous address, we had cameras outside. We had a known human that had priors for breaking and entering, okay, theft, all kinds of things, because we shared on social media this person's photo, and we were able to get a name. I called the police and said, this is who it is. I have them on camera trying to get into our front door, and we were told, we'll let him know. And we'll take care of it. And it like I was blown away to be like, I'm sorry, you'll let him know what exactly. So somebody with a prior breaking and enter charge and just complete disregard for what could have been something very serious turned into we know who it is, we'll let him know. But again, we'll let him know what, like, stay away from my house, but it's okay for everyone else's house. Like it. Well, my concern would be let him know he got caught. 
Yeah, so they knew who he was, but it was basically like, oh, he'll get a slap on the wrist, he'll get back out, what's the point, basically? Like, no real crime happened. And it was like, no, no, no. But this is why it continues, because there was no real consequence. My thing is, if you get a charge, you put somebody in jail, you really pull down hard on somebody, it the behavior stops. But... I guess not. So I think that's the same. And I mean, that's totally why they have security. Because in that encampment, the citizens did take it upon themselves to be like, no, I'm going to get my stuff. They went and picked everything back up. And that's when the city brought in security. Like, who are we actually supporting here? Like, we've gone total 360 just in the wrong direction. Definitely in the wrong direction. I also have to point fault at our provincial court system. So our provincial court system is the ones that are doing this catch and release nonsense. Mm. So we thought COVID was the the culprit because the, the jails were not allowing new people to come in for minor crimes because they were at capacity and everyone was sick and da 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 I get that to to a small degree. However, um, there are, you know, and I, I hate the using the word petty crime because petty crime isn't what we're experiencing here. This is a case where there are organized gangs of people taking to the street each and every night between 11 and 5 a.m., they go out organized. They go out on bike, typically, so they're quiet. So they go out on bike. There's a group of them that hits different neighborhoods each and every night, and they will take absolutely anything that is not locked up or nailed down. So they will porch pirate your porch. They will take your decorations. They will take your their, your bench, they will take your your decor, they will take your packages that are left out by a delivery service, they will take your lawn chairs, they will take your tools, they will break into your car, they will take your change, they will take a computer, they will take absolutely anything and everything that they can take from you and there is zero accountability or action being implemented by the local law enforcement, the judges, and the court system. So why on earth would it stop? So there's no reason for it to stop. Hmm. It's perpetuating more crime. So our local law enforcement, so for instance, my car got burglared. I can't say broke into because I left it unlocked. But my car got burgled. So someone opened my door, went into my stuff, took my belongings. Like, they took everything, including my chapstick. Like, who wants my lip balm? Gross. Like, you don't know what's going on in my health. (laughs) And you want to use my, take my lip balm and my nail clippers. I was like, wow, okay. You know those are in a bush somewhere. Yeah, they are. But they also took everything else. So, this was about a year ago now. So the protocol is currently in the town where we live, and I don't know if it's everywhere, but this is what it's like here. So the protocol is, let's say 
you leave your car unlocked and you get burgled. So someone comes around in the night, they open your car, they take whatever in there. They don't wreck your car, but they take everything, including your spare change and your extra charger cable, your lip balm, your insurance papers, whatever's in there. They take it all. Maybe it's $100 worth of loss to you. So protocol states, you file a police report online. You describe every item that you believe was taken. If you have photos or camera footage from a doorbell camera or an outdoor camera or whatever you have, you can upload it with your report. And it goes into the local policing database. Then someone reviews it. They, they did contact me about a week or 10 days after my report, report was filed. So they, they contacted me and said, we have received your report. Um, were you successful in retrieving any of your belongings? To which I told them yes, after three hours of scouring my entire neighborhood, not only did I find some of my belongings, but I found belongings of other people who also got burgled. And um, all they said was great, thank you. And that was it. There will never be police presence in my neighborhood looking for these bandits. Mm -hmm. There will never be a solution. There will never be a consequential outcome. There will never be accountability. There will never be someone coming to my house and fingerprinting my car door to find out who it was. No. That will never happen. And it's not the police's fault. They know that if they put 20 man hours into investigating my neighborhood's break and enters that night, let's just say, for example, <clears throat> that 20 hours goes right down the toilet. Because even if they were to say, come over and have crime scene come over and fingerprint the car doors on my car, and let's say they got a print, and let's say that print matched up to a prior criminal in the database, and let's say they go and pick that person up off the street and take them to the station, arrest them, put them in holding, they, have, they get released on recognizance, so they're already released within 12 hours because there's no holding, there's nowhere to hold them. Our local police have what, two holding cells, three holding cells? I don't even think they're allowed to hold overnight unless there is a warrant. Mm. So we'll look into that. We'll look into that. So they hold them until they're processed, you know, fingerprints and recognizance, let them back right back out on the street. They reoffend immediately. And then what do they do again? They spend 20 more person, like more police hours doing it all over again to the same group of people. It is an exponential waste of police resources to keep doing this. So that's where the police have stopped. Which I understand. And now it's the judge's fault. Yes. Because the judges are not locking these buggers up. Which is where, that's where it comes down to. Because yeah. if it continues, if you allow it to continue, it'll continue. Yeah, it's no different than a naughty child, right? Of course. The other thing that kind of piggybacks right off this is the same reason so many people end up in Peterborough and end up homeless 
um, and addicted to drugs or just doing drugs in general is it's known in Peterborough that the cops just leave them alone. You can be shooting drugs, shooting up drugs in the middle of the street, in the middle of the day, and there's nobody to call. There's no consequences. There's no nothing. Um, and I mean, I've seen it with my own two eyes. Same. That like in the middle of the day. And I mean, now you have to think when you, uh, Matt, my husband and I, we go paddleboarding. We have to be conscious of shorelines mm-hmm. and needles. Yes. Before we get in and out of the water. Like mm-hmm. we're conscious and aware of it. Parents also take their kids to these same spots. So, again, if there was some process or some actual consequence of like, hey, you can't be doing drugs, you can't be shooting up in the middle of the day. Um, you, I mean, I'm pretty sure drugs are still illegal here in Ontario. Well, those like Schedule Ones are. Like, like, cannabis is the only thing that has been decriminalized that I'm aware of. Yes. BC just legalized uh, hard drugs, so things are different there. Mm-hmm. But here in Ontario, I mean, it. but people flock to Peterborough. We have the highest methadone clinic per capita. We have a safe injection site now, which barely anyone uses. And... Or they use it and then they go out and lay on the sidewalk outside across from our public library, might I add. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is also that public library where people take their kids is now where they're going to be temporarily housing some of these homeless people while these Wolf Street... Encampment in- is tore down. Yes. So there's two organizations. There's the one with the city, and then there's an organization um, called PATH. So the two, one is set up with rules and regulations and set up to be successful. You have to pay to be there. You have to be clean. And I mean, like, not on drugs by clean. Um, Not an alcoholic, any of those things. You have to contribute as far as, like, cleaning or some kind of contribution and you sign a contract and if you violate this contract in any way you're out okay so and there's staff there's support staff they help people they want people basically to be successful get themselves a job so they have a permanent address right so they can apply for a job they can do all these things and then basically graduate themselves out of this program that is called PATH and be a contributing member of society. So that in itself is set up to be a success. The one the city is putting together, there's no rules, there's no nothing. They may say you can't do drugs and bring your hookers here, but as you're saying, there is nothing right now that is stopping anything. And there's no ownership or reason why somebody wouldn't trash these little homes. They're homeless people. And I'm not saying they're bad humans in any way, shape, or form. I'm empathetic. I think everybody needs a hand up at some point. That's fine. What I have a problem with is when these homeless people are basically just give us a place to live, shut up. Let us do what we want. There should be no rules, no regulations, no stipulations on anything. 
give us a place to live, shut up, and go away. So this is over a million dollar project. Yeah. That the city and... Province. The province is funding. Mm Mm-hmm. And I just see it being a giant dumpster fire. The one program, I don't know how, so it, I, I don't know, we haven't run it here in Peterborough before, but the PATH program, I think when you pay for something, you have ownership of it and there's more respect there and you're more likely to succeed at something. Mm-hmm. Whereas if There's you're some just, skin in the game, right? Yeah, of course. Whereas you're, if you're just gifted something without... Um, working for it or earning it in or any way. earning it. Thank you. So I can completely appreciate the programs that are in other countries. I haven't heard about anything here in Canada, but in other countries, I know that there was some, you know, obviously homelessness and drug addiction and mental health concerns have been an, an issue globally. I know in some countries they have done kind of like set up a reward program where if you can prove sobriety, for 30 days, then that qualifies you for a place to live. And then you get a support worker and you get all those bonuses that go along with your journey to recovery. Um, And I know that that has worked in other countries. I also know that dealing with the mental health capacity problem should be paramount and not just the homelessness. Because one without the other is like, you know, brushing your teeth while you're eating. Of course. Um, and that's what I see. You said dumpster fire. I completely agree. I believe that what we're trying to do is brush their teeth while they're still eating and giving a person who does not have the capacity to maintain, take care of, um, any type of residence, never mind themselves. That is more of a burden than it is a reward. So it's almost like we're burdening them further by giving them such a huge responsibility when at the end of the day, getting up and having a shower and getting dressed is enough of a burden. Like they, people who have been unhoused for a lengthy period of time, Generally, especially if there's addiction on board or severe mental health on board, which in so many cases there is. Um, If you are gifting them, say, one of these cute little tiny homes, and they are awfully cute, by the way. Um, If you're gifting, you know, say, Bob. So Bob has been unhoused and Bob has been living on the street now for two years, let's say. Bob lost his lost his family. Bob is unemployed. Bob is living on the system. Bob has an addiction and Bob is suffering with mental health. Then we go and gift Bob one of these cute little tiny homes with the expectation that Bob has to maintain it, keep it clean, keep it tidy, not burn it down and not allow all of his friends to come and habitate it as well. I feel like we're setting Bob up to fail. Bob hasn't been given the tools to just manage his own life. And now we're, now we're giving him a place that requires X, Y, and Z in order to keep it maintained and keep it habitable for him and to keep it clean for him. 
And I feel like you were just doing things backwards. Of course, yeah. It's like somebody cut off their arm and we put a Band-Aid on it. So part of me, between the two programs, it feels like it's almost set up for the city of Peterborough and the federal government that this program is set up in that exact way to fail. Mm -hmm. And I could be wrong, but if you don't have all of the resources and the people behind it to say, here's a worker and here's the counseling that you need, which again, all of this costs money. I realize why these programs aren't in place. Mm -hmm. I'm not delusional, but I think part of it is they can say, we tried that, it didn't work, whatever, and then they can kind of wash their hands of it. Mm-hmm. And again, it's just a prediction I'm making. Would it be great if you know this problem solved itself? Of course. But mm-hmm. again, when we go back to if there's no accountability and no responsibility, and these people are that are already homeless and living in tents, what is the difference? So nobody's going to freeze in the winter. Like, I get it. I understand the pro- the premise of why, like, what we're doing. But again, it's like cutting off your arm and just putting Band-Aid on it. Absolutely. This will not solve the problem. And what happens when, again, if the program does fail, and that is what I'm predicting, then what do they say? Then what's the solution? What is the next step? Because they can, t- they can look back. They can prove with receipts. We tried that. It didn't work. You guys are on your own. So, and again, I'm hopefully I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, everybody wins. Absolutely. But I, I'm not confident. No, and nor am I. And based on historical evidence, because this is like we're not just pulling this out of thin air. Based on history, um, both locally and provincially, I have yet to see a uh, program that deals with addiction, health, or uh, like addiction, recovery, mental health, or anything of the sort actually be successful. Um, So our province, on the back of the opioid crisis and the wave of addiction that happened in that, and if anyone has not seen the Netflix series on painkillers, Please watch it. There so, is a Disney um, one as well. It's called Dope Sick. Yeah, I've seen it And too. it is incredible. Yeah, so Painkiller and Dope Sick both highly recommend. Um, if you have lived that life, be careful of triggers. I have lived that life. Uh, my first husband was a um, victim of the over-prescribing of opioids back in two, early 2000s. And it ruined our marriage. It ruined our family and it ruined everything. It ruined him. So it, the first few episodes I wasn't prepared for. And it mm. sent me into a bit of an emotional tizzy. Once I kind of cleared that out and realized, okay, this is what this show is all about. And I'm just going to buckle down and prepare for it. It changed. But I was not prepared for how close to home it hit. And uh, so anywho, back to this topic. So that... <laughs> So that opioid crisis is still not over. We are still suffering the tidal wave of addiction because of that. There has been zero, I repeat, zero financial funding coming from any of the drug makers into Ontario, Canada probably even, Mm -hmm. 
because all those drugs were made in the U.S. So all the money for the, the lawsuits stayed in the U.S. Um, I probably should look up and see if there was anything filed in Canada. Um, but the way our medical system is set up, we can't sue our medical system the same as they can in the, in the States. So I highly, highly doubt that there was any sort of class action anything against any of the opioid makers or distributors. Well, and the doctors that prescribe them are protected. Correct. And the doctors that prescribe them are protected in Canada. So, (laughs) never mind the dog sneeze. Um, So our provincial government's way of dealing with it was to open um, mass amounts of methadone clinics. If anyone knows anything about methadone, uh, again, because it has been a part of my life, Methadone is no different than a Band-Aid on a bullet hole. So you're basically trading addictions and you're trading highs. So you are chasing a high with another high. It's like drinking to get off heroin. Methadone is not used correctly in the, uh, in the way it's meant to wean people off opioids. It it creates a whole other addiction, which then still doesn't solve the problem because there's no mental health component. There is no life skills component. There is no rebuilding yourself component. It is all just take this pill or this drink and go on your merry way. There is nothing to support it. It's purely just one other thing. And then there's the safe injection sites. So our provincial government, again, felt that because of this massive drug problem that we have, which basically started from the opioid crisis and overprescribing, which is heroin, long-acting heroin, let's just call it what it is. So when you, um, when you poison a population of people in that age group, you know, let's say the 25 to 45-year-olds, and you poison them for 10 years with... Oxycontin, Oxycocet, Percocet, and all the rest of them, which is long-acting heroin. When you poison a generation of people over a course of 10 years, and then you take it away, and then you tell them to take methadone, that that's going to get them off of it, and then it doesn't. So now they're 10 years on methadone. And they're not being supervised properly and they're not being weaned off the way that it was supposed to happen. Now you have them back on the streets. So these people who were pill addicted because of overprescribing and the cover up and everything that went along with it. Now you're giving them methadone, which is free, by the way, because the government subsidizes that. Then you take your methadone, then you go out on the street, then you're shooting heroin or fentanyl or anything that you can get your little mitts on because your high is not the same any longer. And once the methadone crash kicks in, you're like a sleepy zombie for several hours. So then you need something to perk yourself back up. Well, then you're getting into dirty drugs because you're buying street drugs and mixing it with your methadone. So then we have to give Narcan kits out to everybody under the sun, which is also provincially funded. So that if anyone sees someone overdosing, now you can administer Narcan or Naloxone. Same idea. 
So now we have three levels of funding going to people who have addiction, but not one level of that funding, not one branch of that tree has to do with actually helping them. All we're doing is just giving them more crap. And now we're giving them houses. And no one is giving them help. As I said, giant dumpster fire. Yeah. Um, and it's it's odd to me to hear, because nothing's free. To be clear, the healthcare mm-hmm. may be free. The quote, giant air quotes, the healthcare mm-hmm. may be free. These methadone clinics may be free. Nothing's free. No. As taxpayers, we pay out the wazoo for all of this. Yeah. So, and then... Into the millions and millions and millions and uh, millions and tens of millions of dollars over the course of this these programs. Yeah. But not to be, you know, a giant conspiracy theorist, but there's actually no solving the problem. Mm-mm. They want... It's... Uh, again, let me be clear because I'm not part of that, but... It sounds like, and it's very much coming across, that it's designed in a way to keep people addicted and keep people sick and keep people in, you know, in that circle of addiction, addiction and failure to mm-hmm. move forward. Mm-hmm. I mean, completely. Just so that our government can turn around and say, <laughs> just. <laughs> Just so that our government can turn around and say, and we hear it all the time, look at all the money we're giving to this Mm -hmm. cause. Look at all the funding we're giving to this crisis. Look at all the money that we are pumping into the economy to help out with addiction and this and housing and na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na. They want the talking point. They want the highlight reel. They want... To be able to stand up in either Queen's Park provincially or the House of Commons federally and say, look at us go. Our Minister of Health um, spent billions on COVID vaccines and boosters and this and that and everything else. And And how many, what percentage of them ended up getting destroyed because they either expired before they were used or they were they were recalled because they weren't tested fully like the Moderna shots. Mm-hmm. They had to recall them all. Okay, well, we procured those. We purchased those. We as in we taxpayers. Oh yeah. The biggest beef I have in our in our current climate is the government spending taxpayer money like it is their own and they are not consulting anybody that pays these taxes on where we want to see our money going because if you if you polled the general population of Ontario which is 19 and a half million people Getting bigger every day. Mm-hmm. If you pulled the general population or you did a, um, um, what do they call that when they do? A census. Y- yes. 
and did some sort of census or something. Even an online questionnaire that went out to the population of Ontario. I would be willing to bet dollars to donuts that the constituents of Ontario, no matter what political stripe you wear, be it blue, red, orange, purple, green, or whatever the heck else colors there are out there. Um, the overwhelming majority, if they truly knew what was going on, they would want their money spent on hospitals, as in hospital care, hiring smart staff, hiring knowledgeable doctors and nurses, so that people going in there sick don't get sicker and can be actually properly diagnosed, treated and released and sent home healthy and well. They want teachers that teach. They want roads that you can drive on that aren't always torn up or full of holes. They want clean drinking water. They want um, police to do their job, police to be funded, to do the right thing in the community that they serve. They want firefighters to do their job to serve the community in which they are in. And they want a general sense of well-being and ease where crime is not a problem, where kids are getting education, where health care is actually health care, where senior citizens can afford to pay their rent and their bills and eat. And I bet you a very small majority small minority, sorry, small percentage of this fictitious thing we're talking about would say we want to give people that have horrific drug addictions free housing and free drugs. 100%. But the key to everything that you're saying is logic goes out the window. They don't give a shit what we think at all. They're Mm going to do whatever they want when they want to do it. And we keep paying up. We don't even pay. They take tax. We don't pay it. They take it. They just take it. Um, but again, totally understand. That's just the way things go. But no, when you do think about like, what would you like your money spent on? I mean, to as a whole, to go back to the accountability thing, you're giving these people free housing mm-hmm. without the expectation to clean yourself up, clean your life up, get a job. And I understand all of that needs support and then it costs money and I understand why it's not in place. But then we come back to my theory that they're doing all of this and throwing money at this just to have a receipt to say, we tried that, it failed, you guys are on your own. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because if you boiled it down in a different way, so let's say... Let's take the homelessness and the drug addiction and the mental health problem off the table. Let's say when you turn 65, so when you're old enough to collect old age security pension. So let's say when you turn 65, you automatically got a tiny house and you got all your medication covered. You got an, an allowance of say seven, $800 a month. So Every person in Ontario, when you turn 65, this is truly fictitious, but you turn 65, you get the keys to a tiny house, you, which you didn't have to pay for. You get everything covered as far as your medical expenses. 
Um, you have all the resources you need provided for you as far as counseling, um, if you want, you need to go for any kind of therapy, it's all covered. Um, and you get an allowance of $700 a month to spend as you wish. And there is zero accountability for anything that we just did. How, how do you think that would go? <laughs> Realistically. I mean, I know a huge percentage of people rolling into that age bracket that would love it. But again... When it boils down to nothing is free, Mm -hmm. right? Taxpayers are paying it. It's crazy talk. Honestly, it's crazy. The only thing is, did those people pay into that specific program? Right. For those, you know, let's say 40 years that Mm -hmm. you should work, then I'm actually not upset about it. I'm actually more upset of just being like, I'm homeless. I'm drug addicted. And I'm entitled. Give me things. Yeah, I am entitled. And I feel like the more people are given with zero accountability, Mm -hmm. they get greedier. Mm -hmm. So my dad is in a position. My dad's in his 80s. My dad has a, um, um, let's call them a housemate. So my dad rents a room off another person who owns a home who doesn't want to live alone has a house that's too big and rented my dad a room so they are now housemates companions um her financial position in life is different than my father's my dad did not earn a lot of money in his working life he worked until he was you know close or 60 65 retired with a pension from his employment not a huge pension like some companies but like he got enough right he also collects old age security and he also collects canada pension because he worked so my dad makes you know enough money to get by barely Mm -hmm. but he doesn't own a home um he has very little in in savings and no other retirement nothing so We're looking at a situation right now where my dad's health is declining. His housemate slash companion's health is declining. She is in a financial position where she can sell her home and take that money. And that money should pay for about eight years in a retirement facility. And these retirement facilities run anywhere between $5,000 and $7,000 a month, depending on where you go. And of course, that's an all-inclusive amount. So it's only a room, however. So my my dad can't afford that. My dad needs something that would be geared to income Mm. because it has to be based on what he could afford. So the geared to income wait list for a uh, nursing facility in our area is upwards of five years. So... We are at a crossroads where him and his companion, who has been his companion now for almost 10 years, are looking at the prospect of having to separate because she can afford to go into something expensive that looks after her and her needs, has meals included, etc., based on how much money she will have from the sale of her home. My dad cannot afford to join her in that facility. 
So now they're looking at the prospect of they have to be separated or they have to wait an exorbitant amount of time to get into something geared to income. Mm. And we don't have time on our side. Neither one of them are getting any better. Um, and so it is, it is real. So why is it? You know where I'm going with this because sure you're already laughing. Why is it that I'm in this position with my father, but yet the 60-year-old or the 40-year-old guy down in the tent gets free resources and a free home and he gets a welfare check or a disability check and he gets the soup kitchen coming and feeding him lunch every day and he gets to go to the food bank and he gets all of this stuff. So this person who is living homeless with an addiction, with mental health, with all the rest of it, who hasn't probably worked in five to ten years to contribute to the tax account, why are we allowing them to soak all of our provincial resources dry and willingly keep doing it by way of these injection sites, by way of the community paramedics and all of the new brand new vehicles that they got last year so our city bought what 12 suvs brand new had them all logoed up at the expense of the taxpayer to be a community resource to go around to deal with the addicts on the street so there's another million dollars plus flushed that could have gone to, oh, I don't know, a mental health facility that could have gone to having support workers working with these people who need the support. So my father, who worked his entire life from the age of 14 to 65, gets almost nothing. And the addict homeless person gets everything. Mm -hmm. And our province is okay with that. And our city is okay with that. And our federal government is okay with that. So I don't know what it's going to take to turn the tide in this current wasteful backwards spending habit that our province and our federal government have gotten into. I don't know what it's going to take. Um, I would love to know if anyone has an idea. Like, what is it going to take mm -hmm. to stop the madness? Well, I think you actually touched on it, and it's clear. It's just not ever going to happen because, as I said, I don't think they want the problem to be solved in any facet is... There needs to be the facilities in place and the counseling and all of the resources for all of this mental health. I mean, that does tend to be where even addiction fails people is mm -hmm. they're covering something up or trying to escape from something. Mm -hmm. So, and it's not just being homeless. Like, I mean, no. there was obviously a number of events that happen prior to somebody being homeless, right? Whether it's Definitely. intentional on their part or, you know, 
Or uh, they burned every bridge in their family and yeah. they got the boot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's always something. There's always a story. It's not, you know, not everybody's story is the same. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there's, you know, yes, there's place for, you know, the youth emergency shelter. And, you know, of course. things are shitty at home and kids are like, I'm safer to leave. I mean, they they have all kinds of resources. If somebody's on the street, I get it. Not everybody's situation is the same. But I don't think the government or the city... They don't want to put the money in to actually solve the problem. They just want to perpetuate the nonsense. Well, also, if they solved the problem, the funding would stop. Mm, Of course. Right? So part of me believes that's why it continues, right? Not Mm -hmm. this is a total other topic, but the reason nobody's cured cancer yet. (laughs) No. It's because it is a multi-billion dollar industry. Yeah. You keep people sick. Mm-hmm. You keep them on chemo. You keep them on experimental drugs and treatments. Mm-hmm. The cycle continues. Now, well, that, we'll talk about that another day. Well, yes, we will. That's but a good one. That's, so, but that, it seems, when we talk about this entire situation, that seems, like, why would they solve the problem? The funding would stop. It's easier to be like, oh my God, we have a crisis. And the funding continues. Mm -hmm. It's very clear to me that they don't want it solved. Because they could hire way more. I don't even know that social workers, I feel like that's kind of like the bottom level of like where this starts. But at least it would be somebody they could communicate with and Mm -hmm. start actually the process. But it's the counseling and the therapy and and like the facility to detox and stop being addicted to drugs or alcohol or both like all of that millions of dollars first of all that they would need but the jobs that would be created the problems it would solve everything sounds amazing yeah but it's not happening so my big question is is that actually the case do they do they just don't want to solve the problem? Keep this awful cycle going. And how many people are dying? I don't have the numbers, but like you're talking about, you know, the opioid crisis. We now we've rolled into a fentanyl crisis and people dying left, right, and center. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and you're telling me, I mean, just to back up with the safe injection sites, if you are addicted to drugs, mm-hmm. Are you really concerned if they're clean or not? I've seen people downtown Peterborough, act in the park over here. I've seen it with my two eyes. Mm-hmm. Leaning up against a tree. Yes, there's no... I'm sure people are using dirty needles, let alone are their drugs clean. And I'm not judging anybody, but like... It's with, a low priority. Yeah, like, oh my gosh, a nurse has been hired to sit there and say, I'll test your drugs to see if they're clean or not? Please, please. And to give you free needles and to observe you while you inject because then I can, if you, if it is a dirty drug. Yeah, we'll revive then you. we're going to give you a shot of Narcan and we're going to revive you at the cost of the taxpayers. Yeah. And the other thing with handing out these kits with the clean needles and the alcohol wipes and all of these things there should be a return policy. You take a kit, why are these needles in the water? Why are these needles on the beach? Why are they in the park? Okay. Mm-hmm. 
take your kit. You don't get a new kit till your kit comes back. Yep. Get them off the street. And I mean, they have the boxes, the hazard boxes for the needle deposits and everything. Mm -hmm. But again, if you're high as a kite, are you really concerned where you're disposing your needles? No, not at all. Right? Not at all. So in fact, so I have a great, I have a great, this happened to me. (laughs) So I was hired several years ago by a local real estate company to do a cleanup of a house that had been um, gone foreclosure. And this home was centrally located in town here. This home had gone uh, power of sale because the owner had had a... um, bad work it's it's the same old story the homeowner had had a bad workplace accident Mm -hmm. the homeowner ended up on doctor prescribed opioids the owner then um got addicted the owner's wife then started using taking his pills for her physical ailments on the promise from the doctors and the medical society and everyone the the all every everyone everyone was behind it back in the day right everyone was behind it 20 years ago it was the thing it was a miracle drug it was the miracle drug and there was no addiction problem and everybody was going to be cured and healed and everyone was going to be footloose and fancy free so his wife also started taking his pills and she ended up passing away he then went into a spiral he started injecting because then of course they pulled these drugs right so now you have this massive massive problem where everyone is detoxing and then they go to heroin or whatever they can get that's right but because it is heroin chances are they're going to go with another opioid or ketamine or fentanyl or whatever they can get so He ended up with an out-of-control habit. He allowed his friends, who were also using, to come and stay in his house. And it became their injection site. Then, of course, the property tax, he forgot to pay the property tax because his money was all going towards his addiction. And when you're in an addictive state, you do not remember, nor do you recognize your day-to-day responsibilities any longer those go away and it's not intentional it's part of the addiction so things like paying your utility bills paying your property tax um, eating bathing cleaning up your home taking out your trash very what we would consider basic stuff like basic functions of life with addiction on board go away and it's not it's not intentional it is a fallout of the disease of addiction so this is what happened to this individual it got to a point then when foreclosure happened that the real estate company contacted me because I have a history of dealing with these massive projects and have done several of them so I was hired to take this one on they needed to the homeowner was still living in the house Mm. when I was hired. The promise made to me was that the homeowner will leave us alone and he will just continue his day-to-day affairs 
and he is aware we are coming he is aware that we are going to be cleaning out the home he is aware that we will be there he is not harmful he is not combative he is just happy to have the help because he can't take care of it himself there was a timeline of seven days on this turnaround which is whatever again i'm good with deadlines so he we had seven days and it was like easter time so we started on easter saturday that weekend and um i had a team with me taking care of this place we were in full hazmat gear we had like double gloved we had the suits on breathing you name it because this place was it was horrific um the water had been shut off for months Mm. so the toilets were not flushing but yet they kept using them there was two toilets in the home both of them were at capacity and i will leave it at that um the sink drains were at capacity in order for us to have water to wash i had to approach the neighbor and ask her if i could hook up an external hose to the back of her house to use some water for buckets we had to bring water totes in to have additional water for washing and cleaning i had a very large dumpster delivered to which it was emptied i believe four times in seven days we were using shovels and totes to scoop up his belongings his life this was his life and i was shoveling them into a dumpster so in all of this accumulation of belongings that had once upon a time been his possessions and probably very well cared for um there was needles there was broken glass there was all kinds of sharps and things that could poke us and and hurt us so we were very vigilant so we got to the place where everything all the contents were gotten rid of everything was cleaned out to the walls and when we started um so there was a basement in this house the basement um you so the basement had 12 steps from the main floor down to the to the bottom and the debris had piled up to the sixth step so when you went down the stairs you had to walk off the stairs onto a debris field in order to get into the basement so it's like a full-blown episode of hoarders yes it was very very sad so after the week or close getting close to our week we had it cleaned out the only thing remaining was the room in which the homeowner lived so he basically had reclused himself into a room so that we could clean the home out so it came down to the very last day it was a beautiful day I will never forget. I get a call from my team. It was like 9 a.m. He was supposed to be gone. I believe it was a Monday. And um, I get a call. I was at another job site. We have a problem, they say to me. He's in his room, barricaded in. He's not answering the door. It's locked. He won't come out. I don't know if he's dead or alive. There is needles in the other room, which we'd already cleaned out. There was needles in a, like in a whiskey bottle, an empty whiskey bottle full of needles that they had obviously been there all weekend 
having their time. Um, I don't know if he's alive or dead. We've been banging on the door for 20 minutes and he won't come out. And he won't even acknowledge that we're banging on the door. I don't know. We don't know what to do. So I went down there. I called the real estate agent that I was hired by. Said, you need to meet me at this house. So we go in. Of course, I'm, I'm agitated. This has been a project and there was a lot to deal with. Levels of things. So I go in. Of course, I put the boots to the door. And I get an answer from him. So he's not dead. That's a good thing. So he's alive. That's a, that's a really wonderful thing because we were really concerned. So real estate shows up and I had a conversation with them and said, listen, you need to get him out of here. Today is our last day here. He needs to leave the premises in order for us to clean out his room. And we don't know what we're getting into because we've never been into this room. I don't know what to expect. So some phone calls were made. The gentleman's mom comes takes him out for lunch. We were able to get into his room, clean it out. The entire room was, was full of sharps between um, needles, clean and dirty, broken things. Um, I'm assuming paraphernalia surrounding his addiction. Everything in there could bite you, basically. So we got the room cleaned out while he was away. Um went back to doing what we were doing and then um so you know we were getting to the end of it all we get down to like the last little bit and he returns to the house and was very upset that we had cleaned out his room um so I had said to the team anything that looks like it's something he would take with him set it aside don't put it in the dumpster in the dumpster so they had done that they had made sure that like his clothing were in was in a tote anything that looked like a personal effect was in a tote anything that looked important was in a tote so there was a few totes for him to take with him the rest went in the dumpster so the house is now empty the last thing is we were asked to remove the window coverings so there was some like horizontal blinds and things like that so one of my team members said well I'll do this room and went into the living room I think it was or no I'm wrong it was a main floor bedroom grabbed the thing the top of the blind and pulled right because nothing's being salvaged this whole house is going in a dumpster and showered himself with dirty needles that had been stashed in the tops of the vertical blinds right so back to your point about the care goes away and the consciousness of where your needles are going and the consciousness of where these sharps are and, and who could be impacted by them. It's not intentional, but it is a fallout of addiction that when you're in that state, you lose all sense and sensibility of what a quote unquote average person thinks is, would think of in a day. And like, I know that was a very long story, but it just goes to show how somebody can go from an active member of the community, a homeowner, a taxpayer, he owned his own business, he was married, had children, lived his life in a nice little comfortable way in a, in a cute little house in town, and how within several years, starting with an, addict, an opioid over, over prescription, how it all falls apart so that 
he loses his home, loses his health, loses his wife, loses his sense of self. His home becomes a, a flop house for all the his addicted friends. Um, and he had to stand there and watch us shovel his contents into dump into a dumpster. And he was so far gone in his addiction that he just didn't even care. Like he just didn't care. So back to your point of giving these people homes and giving them resources and things that they're just not prepared for. I've seen it. I've lived through that. I know how it goes. And I really believe that you are correct and we are setting them up for an absolute disaster. Um, people that are heavily in addiction and heavily in mental health um, uh, trauma are not equipped to look after themselves day to day. Never mind look after a tiny home. Never mind follow the rules. Never mind look for a job. None of those things. None of those things are on board until the root of the problem is solved. And our Ontario government made this big push during COVID that we were going to give free PSW uh, programs. Anyone over the age of 18 that either has a, a grade 12 diploma, proficient in English, I just looked it up, proficient in English, a grade 12 diploma or equivalency, um, and could pass the standard test to get in, like the standard whatever to get in. Um, you, there is a six-month PSW course available for any resident of Ontario. Still active by the look of it online. So why are we not pumping PSWs through and giving them the training to look after these people who need it the most so that we can train a personal support worker to give personal support partner them up with an addictions counselor and get this encampment because it's everywhere in every town seems like now get this encampment cleaned up but the right way take that million dollars and bring these people in get them the help they need then give them the homes we're doing it backwards and have them do something well there has to be an accountability you have piece. to clean up you have to spend two hours i don't know gardening something yeah. like there has to be something to say we'll do this but you have to meet me somewhere mm-hmm. well even what's the um what's the other one um habitat for humanity mm. with the habitat for humanity builds the the recipient of the the homes or the apartments for habitat builds have to contribute certain amount of hours towards their home build and they have to qualify Mm -hmm. for that so there has to be a qualification process they have to submit an application they have to have their finances looked at if they're working or not what their needs are um, as far as accessibility or or if they have um, whatever. And then there has to be a, a component of they have to do some of the work on their build. Yeah. So it gives you that pride in ownership. It gives you that I contributed to my own home sense of 
of empowerment. But these are also going to people who aren't heavily addicted and aren't living in a tent in a parking lot downtown. Mm-hmm. So, And they do have to pay for the home. Mm-hmm. There is still a mortgage involved yeah. once the home is there. What it it eliminates for these people once they do qualify and everything is a large down payment, all of that. Like they're, mm-hmm. you know, but you get a brand nice, brand new home. Mm-hmm. You just happen to help put that home together. Yep. And, and go through the steps to make it happen for you absolutely. and your family. So there's an accountability there. Whereas this project with PATH or with, or with the city, whatever it's called, there is zero accountability. And again, it just looks like a dumpster fire waiting to happen. Yep. It just is so ass backwards. Mark my words. I'm telling you, this is why we're talking about it. I, I mean, again, I'm, I'm hopeful that I'm wrong. I, I but I, I truly too. believe they're doing all of this in the wrong way, mm-hmm. intentionally, so they can say, we, we did this, we tried it, it didn't work, here's the receipts to prove it, next. And there's also the blame component. So, for instance, the cities and the, the constituents in the cities where there's huge tent encampments like our town. We're begging for the city to get these people housed. We are begging our town council, our mayor, our MP, our MPP. We are begging them all the time. Like every social media, every letter to the editor, every everything you read is, we need to do something about this problem. We need resources. The city needs to do something. The city needs to build housing. The city needs to this. It's over and over and over in your face all the time for years now. So the city is now doing something. But like you have suggested, because they're doing it wrong, backwards, however you want to put it, there will then be the blame component. So it's not just the financial. Oh, well, we tried it. It failed. All the tiny homes went up in flames. It's the, well, you constituents of your town, you wanted this, and now you're complaining about it? Oh, yeah. Look at you, you hypocrites. You wanted us to take care of these people. You wanted us to house them. You wanted us to get them off the street and get them in off the tents and get them into this and get them into that. So here we spent a million and whatever dollars. It's like... The numbers today was like a million, 200, like 1.2 million, basically. Wow. And so we're not done yet. We're not done yet. That's only 50. Mm-hmm. That's 50 of these little cabins. So with 50 cabins, one person per cabin, that's 50 people. Great. I don't know how many homeless people or unhoused people are in our community right now, but I'm betting there's more than 50. Mm-hmm. So... <clears throat> It, it, it appears on the surface that this was done hastily because winter's coming. It was done backwards as far as we are putting the cart before the horse. So we're giving them the housing before we've got them cleaned up and got them the resources and the tools and the help that they need. Yeah. We're putting them on public land, which 
is not an ideal space where they're going. They're going to the old Humane Society property, right? That's the path program. The path program is going there. And then I believe it's downtown Wolf Street. Is taking the rest. Is where the city program is going. Gotcha. So there's going to be two different things running. Neither one of them really were well pre-planned. Neither one of them have any kind of like health component to them or addiction management. And then now it's like, okay, well, here's your cabin and uh, good luck. Bye. So then when it fails, because it seems to be obvious that it's going to fail in some capacity, then it's like, well, you wanted it. We did it. Everyone's been bitching. Everyone's been complaining. We need houses. We need these people out of the camp. We need this. We need this. We need this. So here, we gave you the cabins. We gave them the land. We figured it out. And now, well, what more do you want from us? Oh, yeah. We did what what you asked us to do. And I see that blame game happening down the road, too. So it's not just the exponential loss of, of financial money. But it's the blame that the city, the province, and whoever else is going to say, well, you wanted it, you got it, and now you're still complaining. And the underlying issue of you have a ton of people who will again be homeless, addicted, and terrorizing the city mm-hmm. for lack of a better example. No, better they do. They do terrorize our city. Like my kids can't go out after dark without feeling like they're going to get jumped. We have to triple check our locks before we go to bed at night. Our police are not patrolling our neighborhoods because they're so busy with the downtown core and all of the homelessness and drugs and and prostitution and all the nonsense going on down there. Yep. So, no, we are being terrorized. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, I have little old ladies that come up in our neighborhood on our our neighborhood Facebook site that are, like, actually scared that they are currently living alone in their homes. And they are scared because of how much theft and burglary is happening in our neighborhoods. Like, terrified. And these are people who've been living on their own forever, for years, years. They've never had a a problem. They live in a good neighborhood. They have cameras. They have doorbell cameras. They have monitors. They have motion lights. They lock their garage. They lock their vehicles. They don't leave valuables sitting out. And they're still terrified because home invasions are happening. People are getting their cars stolen right out of their driveway. People are getting like Nikki Nikki nine doored late at night because they're get, they're seeing who answers the door and who's not answering the door and who's home and who isn't home. You know the cameras don't do a lick of good because the, the again back to the police don't pick them up because even if they recognize them, they know it's a catch and release court system. So, so why waste your time? Why yeah. waste the financial resources of picking up, you know, Johnny Joe Blow from the tent encampment when he's just going? He a he can't. He doesn't have any money to pay a fine. B he's not going to get legal aid. C he probably isn't even going to show up for court. And if he does do all those things and shows up for court, he's going to get tossed right back out on the street with zero accountability. Of course. 
which is why we have a perpetuating system. Oh my goodness. I know we could literally talk in circles about it forever because yeah. there's just nothing being done. Yeah. You know what? We'll wrap it here, mm-hmm. but I think this is something we'll touch on again once it's actually live and happening and people are in here and we have kind of an update of being like, mm-hmm. you know, what's happening? How's it actually working out? Yeah. And impacting and affecting our city. Like, has it, have we seen some improvement or has it just moved the crime? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm when, excited to touch on it again. Honestly. I am too. And we'll get in there talking also in with the housing thing about new immigrants to Canada and uh, their housing situation. Oh, and all the handouts they get? Yeah. That's an awesome topic for next time around too, Melissa. Yes, ma'am. Okay, I love it. All right. Until next time. Until next time. See you later, guys.